All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I was going to say, all right, all right, all right there. So I've kind of been slipping into and someone pointed out that it's uh, a Matthew McConaughey quote. And so uh, I'll keep, for some reason, I just slip in. All right, all right, all right. Hello, welcome. <laughs> but hello and welcome to VOX World. Uh, today, you'll notice I am wearing my trusty VoiceFlow cap because today is VoiceFlow CEO Braden Reams' third appearance on VOX World. Uh, we go way back, and today is going to be an epic conversation. We're going to be discussing large language models and the future of conversation design and the future of AI application design and the future of voice flow. I'm looking forward to that coming up in just one minute. But before that, I need to give a shout out to our presenting sponsor today, Tidio. Tidio is a conversational AI platform that specializes in catering and providing for small to medium sized retailers. So if you have, uh, if you are a retailer, you maybe you're running on something like Spotify, maybe you're running on something else, and you want to look at ways in which you can utilize artificial intelligence, then you should check out Tidio. It's got a live chat platform plus conversational AI capabilities. It's got a lot of pre-built intents, pre-built conversations around order check-in, product availability, uh, shipping status, returns, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it is answering somewhere, what is the figure? It's four out of five customer questions it's answering successfully. Uh, so if you want to benefit from artificial intelligence, but you don't want to put in a whole load of groundwork, time and effort, and you want to get to market a little bit faster, then you should check out Tidio. You can, if you want to, go to tidio.com uh, forward slash VUX, and there you will find a promo code where you will save 20% if you were to go and join today. That is Tidio, T-I-D-I-O dot com forward slash VUX. Thank you, Tidio, for partnering and sponsoring VUX World. Now, the other thing we definitely need to discuss is, and it's coming around so thick and fast, I can't believe how fast it's coming around. It is the Voice and AI Summit in September. It's at the beginning of September from the 7th, so sorry, from the 6th through the uh, 8th. And it is going to be absolutely immense. We are going to be in Washington, D.C. for the Voice and AI Summit. For those of you who are familiar with the Voice Summit, you'll be familiar with the event. It's been slightly rebranded. It's now focusing more on generative AI, large language models, that kind of stuff. Last year, we had a track there. We had a stage. It was absolutely immense. We were focusing on enterprise application of AI. And today, uh, not today, but in, in two weeks' time, we'll be doing the exact same thing. The VUX stage will be back and we'll be looking at how large enterprises, including some large banks, including some big insurance providers, including some big healthcare companies, how are they utilizing this emerging technology in the enterprise today? And if you were to do something similar, how can you do that effectively, responsibly, and with a high degree of quality? Now, speaking, you can go to voice and AI, voiceand.ai, the website is, and you can get your tickets to find out more there. So speaking about utilizing large language models effectively let's welcome on today's guest Braden Ream. VoiceFlow have just raised another round of funding another 15 million dollars to put into growing and scaling the platform and so I'm delighted for Braden to join me for the third time on VUX World. Welcome. Well welcome myself I'm yeah excited to be back third time. Wow hat trick and now I'm wearing the uh, the uh, voice flow hat, which I was lovingly given uh, at Unparsed in uh, July. Thank you for partnering with us for that event. It was absolutely fantastic to see you and the team over here in the UK and to support the uh, the first in-person conversation design conference in the world. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and now I owe you one of these for your hat trick. Your third appearance on VUX World gets you the yellow VUX cap. Very exclusive merch, this Bryn. So I'll be bringing this across the pond to Washington to present to you at the Voice and AI Summit. So there you go. 
Love it. Yeah, no, it was a, it was an awesome conference. Thank you for uh, putting on Unparsed. We're excited to be back next year. Definitely, definitely. It was really good, actually. You know, I don't want to overly kind of plug our own events and stuff like that, but it did have a very nice communal feel about it. It was good, really great content, good vibes, good after parties, which uh, are also very important. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Can't wait to have you uh, have you along next year. We have yeah. uh, some people tuning in. We've got Paul Kutzinger. Shout out to Paul. Says, hello, party people. Uh, Jose Burgos. Howdy from Austin, Texas. Hello. Howdy from Austin. Uh, there you go. Hi from Portugal. Elson, welcome from Portugal. We are truly global, Britain, right now. Love it. It's, it's good to see Paul. Uh, I know Paul from way back in, in the, Alexa, the Alexa days and doing, uh, was it situational design, if you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Paul and I spent many hours on calls together, so that's good to see you. Definitely, definitely. And uh, round about that time, we were on the uh, on the on the show. It must have been towards the back end of the Alexa sort of craze, I suppose. Was was the last time maybe you were on, and it was all around. We we're talking about discoverability. If you remember that, the age-old conversation about getting Alexa skills discovered. Um, it was good times back then, but it feels as though we've got another community thriving now, you know, like that community is blended with other communities and now we're kind of as a community growing, the technology is getting better and it, it, I don't know about you, but it feels as though we're in a similar sort of space now with large language models, generative AI, similar kind of space as we were with Alexa. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny and every time I come on VUX XWorld, it feels like we're sort of at, at, at another inflection moment. Um, you know, Alexa was really sort of the first wave of, I think, this community, uh, you know, that sort of came together. And really what it was, it was the um, conversational AI community, but, you know, around building agents. And Alexa happened to be the platform that we were all using. Um, and then I think we all transitioned into sort of conversation design, more broadly, just conversational AI. We started to, you know, pick up folks from the contact center space and other places. And then more recently, now it's it's all about large language models. And, you know, that's been sort of the, the, the craze for the past six months. And, I think what's really cool is um, this uh, span and scope of large language models and the applications is tremendous. Uh, you know, we were sort of big believers in it early on, and we've seen voiceless user base essentially double to almost triple uh, over, you know, from the big, beginning of this year till now. And so that's been really exciting, introducing folks to conversation design, introducing folks to sort of the conversational AI space, um, you know, was sort of just sort of so much interest from chat GPT pulling people in. So, yeah, it's been exciting. Nice, nice one. Uh, we've got Lawrence again from Austin. We've got Khadija from London. Hello there. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, feel free to stick any questions that you might have throughout this conversation in that chat. And if we can do, we will We will definitely try and get to it. Yeah, you're right there. I mean, there is an inflection point that, that seems to emerge every time, we, uh, every time we chat. I think one of them was that the last time was around how, I suppose it was, as I said, towards the tail end of the Alexa sort of phase when I think a lot of people were a little bit, kind of like they've been knocking on the door for a long time there were certain things that still hadn't kind of materialized and stuff like that and so it was kind of like a the last few podcasts we did around alexa specifically was was very much kind of focused on that and it's really funny because i, I was looking back we've been transcribing all of our podcasts and actually using uh voice flow to uh to mock up some examples of what the nice. uh vux bot would be like once we've accurately transcribed all the podcasts and all that kind of stuff, you're going to be able to just talk to the podcast basically and, and have a conversation with all the guests that were on it and, and mine all the information that's been in there, which is going to be great. Cool. But I was going back through the episode that I did with uh, Georgia Quinter and it was in 20, it must have been 2018. 
And he's talking about three things that were that were an issue, which was one is discoverability, the other was was retention, and the other was monetization. Mm-hmm. And it just had me thinking, preparing for this conversation and thinking about this conversation. It's like we had that exact conversation probably two years after I had the conversation with Joe, and yeah. those kind of were still those challenges were still there. Whereas yeah. now. I don't think it seems as though, I mean, obviously we can get into some of this stuff around like, you know, the perception of hallucinations and potentially they also the perception of a slight lack of control, perhaps if you're using large language models, but at least it feels, it feels positive. It feels as though the challenges that may exist are, are kind of surmountable as you start to mix and blend different technologies together. So it feels like a really positive time to be in this space, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I think um, it, it was interesting. Like when we were an Alexa skills focused company, I had a conversation with an investor actually who goes, um, you know, you as a tool maker can only make money if your customers are making money. And that was a really profound thought. Like you might have, you know, product market fit. You might be the world's best Alexa skill building tool, but unless your customers are making money and they're, you know, if, if let's say that's an agency, so, you know, it's, you know, voice sells, you know, tools to people who are building agents. If those agents then are providing value to their end customers, the value has to flow up, right? Uh, if the value doesn't flow up, if, you know, Alexa uh, skills can't be monetized well, then the Alexa skill builders aren't making enough money, which then makes the tool builders not be able to have enough money. And then it sort of all just flows up the chain. And I think what's really been exciting about large language models is we are seeing a ton of people make money now. Um, whether they're, you know, just automating far more conversations than they could before. Uh, they're able to hit uh, higher deflection rates. You know, they're able to provide, you know, better CSAT scores. Uh, or even what we're starting to see too is uh, the emergence of like um, a really strong agency layer servicing SMBs and mid-markets where, you know, normally to stand up like an enterprise chatbot, it's really expensive, right? You need a ton of people, full-time staff, all this kind of stuff. But with large language models, it's brought the floor down of cost creation or uh, like the... Um, the cost floor down so low that now these like one, two, three person agencies are able to service really large companies with really sophisticated bots that just, that just wasn't possible before. And so the value is now flowing up, uh, which has been really exciting to see. And it's a, it's a big change, I think for this community to uh, now have use cases that are like, you know, there's no more opportunity ahead of us than there is behind us at this point, which I think maybe wasn't the case uh, with previous channels. Mm. And so congratulations on your latest round of funding. That's great news. Very much a, a vote of confidence in terms of what you're doing there. Um, you've done a lot, not just since we last spoke, but in the last eight months, to be honest, in terms of iterating the product, you know, every single second day, there's a video on LinkedIn with a new feature and stuff like that. So you've really sort of like grabbed the ball by its horns. Describe yeah. to us a little bit about what that journey has been like and how you're thinking about large language models as part of the, not necessarily the voice for a product, but as part of the tool set for developing and creating these experiences. Yeah, you know, so um, when ChatGPT first launched, like, you know, a lot of folks on this, you know, sort of a call, um, we were a blown away and B didn't know exactly how this was going to play into our business. And, you know, the approach we decided to take was let's innovate really, really quickly. And basically let's learn with our customers. And so what we did is we actually segmented voiceless product into two products. So what we used to have was just voiceless, which is a conversation design platform. And it would sit on top of traditional uh, NLU providers, right? So like Dialogflow, IBM Watson, Raza, all these kinds of things. And 
what we did is we partitioned the product and we said, this is going to be the AI playground, essentially like the AI builder. And this is going to be our traditional NLU product. And what that allowed us to do was to really quickly start to innovate and just throw stuff at the wall on the AI builder. And we had, you know, a legal disclaimer and it's still there when you start using Voiceo's AI builder. Hey, just want to let you know, large language models, you know, if you're going to push it to production, know that they can hallucinate. You know, if you're going to be playing with different models, you know, there's experimental features in here, all this kind of stuff. And we basically gave ourselves the liberty to uh, try to iterate as fast as possible because we didn't know what was going to work. Um, you know, so we basically mapped out all of the possible use cases that we could initially think of. Um, and what's crazy is like, you know, we we would not even be thinking about like, you know, transcript management and uh, different examples of prompt chaining and, you know, uh, responding from memory, saving, you know, uh, LLM responses into variables, like all these kinds of things that we've launched in the past couple of months. We, we wouldn't have been able to predict them six or eight months ago. But what happened is that we were launching features. Customers would come and say, hey, you know, what, what about this? You know, could I do this now? Could I do this? And only as we launched more features did we understand more about large language models and how they play into conversational AI, which then led the roadmap for the next set of features. And so we've just been trying to take this iterative approach of, um, Let's innovate with our customers. Let's try to launch weekly. Um, and uh, that's been really successful. Like we've seen a ton of usage and people have really been loving, like loving the new features. We're actually very close to the point of where generative AI features are now about to surpass the original business. Um, it's like, you know, every single week it now teeters. They're like neck and neck. And so that's been really exciting to see. Interesting. And so so in terms of the genesis of, of VoiceFlow, you began as a essentially a story building interactive story building platform for for Amazon Alexa and then you know quickly realized that you have something here that can be used and applied elsewhere such as broadly speaking conversational AI and then it became yeah. more of a design platform where uh, a lot of sort of teams were using it to collaborate on designs and, you know, using it to prototype and test early kind of iterations and stuff like that. And although there was always a feature there which let you to publish a chatbot, for example, on a front end, it always struck me as though the value and positioning of the value from VoiceFlow's perspective was all around teamwork, design, concepting, prototyping, getting your ideas out there so that when you come to commit to building something in Watson or Dialogflow or wherever, yeah. you've worked out the kinks, you've got everything sort of, you've got your ducks in a row and you, there's no surprises kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas now there's a lot more features regarding LLMs and the, a lot of the tooling and stuff that you've like wrapped, harnessed around it, it's not necessarily, it seems to me at least, applicable or, or the same use cases don't necessarily apply where you would do all of this work to craft this experience using LLMs and then just take that and go and build it somewhere else. And so yeah. and we've, we've had some conversations about this in the past and I was excited to see in the press release that it's explicitly stated there that VoiceFlow now sees itself as being a production-ready enterprise platform yeah. rather than a design tool. So I'm wondering if you can talk us through that kind of transition. Yeah, so... The reason that we chose collaboration as sort of the focal point is we really wanted to serve enterprise product teams. And, you know, in, in specific, that relationship between conversation designers and their developer counterparts. We really wanted to be sort of the genesis between the two of them. And we felt that we weren't ready to take on larger platforms like a dialogue flow 
or uh, IBM Watson. We were just, we were too small a company. And, you know, when we looked at our resources, it was, let's be really amazing at one thing. Let's be incredible at conversation design. Let's really nail collaboration. And so we spent like two and a half years basically perfecting the conversation design workflow. How do you design, prototype, collaborate, uh, and essentially thinking about conversation, conversational AI, um, not just from the outcome, but from actually the, uh, optimizing the inputs of the workflow. Basically saying, hey, you know, a lot of platforms, they focus on like, what is the art of the possible? If you use every single you know, nook and cranny in the, you know, what's that final widget look like? But then, you know, they don't really think about much about the actual creation experience themselves, which makes it then hard to achieve that outcome, right? If you're super outcome oriented and you don't think at all about the inputs, and like how people actually get there. Sometimes it can be, you know, it's like if you have the, uh, I don't know, the, the ability to have the fastest car in the world, but, you know, it requires, uh, you know, so much gas, it can only run for a minute or something like that, right? Like, it's actually like, yes, you can achieve that incredible outcome, but, you know, the inputs matter a lot. And so we focused a lot on inputs for two years. And that led us to, you know, get to 130,000 global, you know, users. Uh, we were able to, uh, you know, get to a pretty large chunk of the fortune 500 now in terms of just sort of customers. And, you know, we've been super blessed to have, you know, the incredible customers that we do. And now with this latest funding round, um, we actually had uh, the majority of our previous funding rounds still in the bank. And so we're sitting on a lot of cash right now and we're trying to think about how do we actually now um, do what our customers have been asking for, which is two years, which is, Hey, you know, and, and everyone's been pointing it out. They say voice has this incredible conversation design tool you guys have built over like the past, like four years, basically. You guys also have a really strong NLU. You also have an NLU manager and analytics and transcripts. Like, what am I not getting, right? You sort of have all the end-to-end components. And now we feel like we're in a, in a position where we can start to say, hey, you know what? Um, as you do evaluate vendors, um, you can use VoiceO for just conversation design, use this in our traditional business, but now also you can take us end-to-end. So we're having uh, some of those conversations with customers, and that's been a really exciting sort of transition where we feel like we're able to. Um, and also... You know, I, I think a lot for startups, if you're in a really big market like Conversational AI, you got to be amazing at like, you know, at least one thing where you're known for, um, because I think you have a lot of like jack of all trades, master of none vendors. And that's a really tough spot to be in when you're in such a competitive space. Like you go to these conferences like Voice and AI in September, there's, you know, my plug for Pete. Um, and uh, you're just, there's a ton of vendors where it's like kind of all the same stuff, right? Same catchphrases, same, you know, metric that they're scoring on. And so we want to be, you know, world-class at one thing and then slowly over time be world-class at sort of the whole stack, but make sure that we don't lose that initial edge. So, um, mm. yeah, people have been predicting it for a long time, including yourself. And, you know, we're now sort of coming out of the shell a little bit. Uh, and with this latest funding round, try to, you know, really signal strength that, hey, you know, we're going to take this pretty seriously and become the world's best conversational AI platform with a focus on collaboration, being tech agnostic, um, and then having that design centricity, that sort of, you know, collaboration between designers and developers, those are really the three things that we're focusing the platform on. Mm, yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, I remember the discussions that, that we've had in the past, which is that whether whether other platforms are kind of jack of all trades or what have you isn't necessarily for me to say, but I think that definitely the difference that I can see is that most platforms are very much technical platforms like even though like not like you know generally speaking i can open up dialogflow cx i know my way around it i can i can build something same yeah. with ibm watson same with dialogflow es really you can kind of get away with it but 
the problem is that really to build a real robust conversation in there, like you should see some of the stuff that Justin's been building in Dialogue Flow CX, you know, our CTO, Justin, it's like, it's it's it becomes very complicated very quickly when you have a technical brain that that builds out production grade software and so those tools always for me have at least have seemed to be technical first tooling whereas voice flow has always been design led yeah. so i suppose and i don't know whether or not i'm asking you to give away any of the secrets here but like if you look at the platforms like that, like Dialogflow and IBM Watson, like Brett yeah. presented some some really great information that we commissioned him for ahead of Unpars, which was when he asked like what design tools or what frameworks do people have experience with, and it was like neck and neck between Dialogflow and Voiceflow, and all other vendors were sort of down there, which almost to me kind of speaks to the split of skill sets in the industry. You've got loads of designers loads of developers but there doesn't seem to be that kind of middle ground and and this isn't necessarily a criticism of voice flow but one of the things that was that was always a bit of a challenge was that how do you get all of that robust complex design from voice flow into watson or something like that you know i know there's export tools and stuff like that but it's like there never seems to be this kind of middle ground between development and design whereas that seems to me to be where voice flow potentially can play is to is to go from having the the easy to use design friendly agnostic kind of tooling and then moving more into the technical sort of the technical space so i wonder whether like i had two questions about that one is like who do you see your customer being now or becoming and two in terms of the sort of like platform itself where do you see that voice flow needs to improve if it is going to become as enterprise ready as a dialogue flow, IBM Watson. So maybe we'll do the second question first and then we'll go to the, the target audience one after that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great question. So, you know, I think the the way to think about this is you have a develop so developer developers um, you know, if they, they generally know how to code, right? Uh, you know, I don't want to be you know bro- to, uh, give too broad sweeping of a statement, but generally speaking, developers can code. And so when we think about like the tools that a developer wants to use, it's often not using a GUI. And so, you you know, the GUI is there to uh, make some functions of like the development process easier, but the actual development is going to be done uh, with code. And so I think what you've had is you've had the developer platforms like a dialogue flow basically say, oh, we'll do the low code thing. And they start from the developer and then they start to add on, uh, you know, sort of their, their GUI interface, but it's essentially a GUI for a development tool. The way that we're thinking about this is let's actually segment the developer platform, which is all of our API documentation, right? Have a service-oriented approach where we are exposing as much of VoiceLow's platform as we can through um, uh, great SDKs, APIs, really good developer documentation. So you can build custom tools and workflow on top of VoiceLow, and you never have to go into the GUI. And then for the designers, let's have an incredible GUI. And so I think in, I think the approach of Dialogflow and Watson and a lot of these these sort of like large developer platforms has been to couple them, um, which I think can then you know with as when you're a developer you can kind of do anything. That's like the most you know amazing part about being a developer. The challenge is a GUI cannot have everything in it. GUIs are opinionated, and being a developer is actually. Uh, allows you to sort of have this unlimited amount of workflow. And so those two things, if you try to combine them, you end up having a GUI that has a million buttons and a million switches and toggles and this and that, because you're trying to put all the power of code into something that is ultimately a constrained interface. And so, yeah, the approach that we're taking at VoiceFlow is the GUI 
which like essentially the design tool remains extremely opinionated. In fact, we're, we're making a lot of like big changes behind the scenes right now to make the GUI that people love and use even better. Like how do we continue to double down and reinvest in that system? Cause we, you know, people are like, we love voice and we sit there and we see all the flaws. We're like, Oh, this could be better. This could be you know smoother. Da, 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 da. That's going to, you know, we're going to continue to invest really heavily there. But for the developer platform, we don't think we have to add complexity to the GUI. We think what we can do is uh, start to, um, showcase all the underlying APIs, and we're starting to see this. So last week, for example, we just launched a brand new API, which is the Knowledge Base Management API. What this allows you to do is to uh, upload, replace, manage all of your knowledge base programmatically through an API. Why that's really valuable is the developer doesn't even have to go into VoiceFlow. You can actually even create your own GUI layer, your own internal tooling, and you're managing your VoiceFlow system programmatically. And so by bifurcating the platform into these two different um, areas, you're allowing the developers to do what they do best, which is um, use the tools we've given them, but then build their own tooling, their own layers, their own workflows around it, and then give the designers something that is meant for them. And so we think that's the, the correct approach. Um, and ultimately, we think that that's what's going to allow for that simplicity um, that people love from VoiceFlow, but also paired with the scalability. Since I think, you know, if you're trying to do it all, you end up kind of being like, nothing for no one. And I think that's where a lot, a lot of the platforms like Dialogflow CX have kind of gotten themselves stuck. And then they've tried to make a developer tool into a design tool and you end up, you know, being a developer platform, which, you know, uh, requires you to use the GUI in some places and isn't very flexible. And you have designers being like, what the heck is this? There's just way too many developer, you know, toggles, switches, you know, widgets and stuff all over the place. So um, to your second question, that's it. On the first question in terms of how, where do we focus now? Who's our customer? VoiceFlow for the past two and a half years has been conversation design teams. That's our customer. Like the actual end user um, is the conversation designer. And then ultimately, like the customer is the team, the team itself, right? So we're thinking about workflow and all that kind of stuff. We're still selling the same uh, folks. The difference is we're going one layer up and that it's not just conversation designers and their teams, because that's one part of the broader conversational AI team. Now we're thinking about product owners. Uh, you know, the actual developers, the data scientists, how do we give them all a place in VoiceFlow where they actually have a seat at the table? You know, it's a one collaborative uh, interface. And again, when we think about collaboration, like every single role has its own, you know, unique way to work. Because we say we're going to target developers doesn't mean we expect them to go into the GUI. How do we give them the tools to interact with VoiceFlow without even having to go into the GUI? How do we give the designer their tools? How do we give the product owner a management dashboard so they don't have to, you know, like, how do we give each owner of each different part of the workflow um, their own place in VoiceFlow? And ultimately, we think that will become sort of like the ultimate collaboration platform that can span from design to development uh, and, and all that good stuff. So. Um, bit of a rant, bit of a tangent, uh, but hopefully that uh, helps sort of give everyone the picture of how we're thinking about the platform, which is ultimately um, build the interface that works best for the end user. If it's a developer, we're going to give them great APIs. If it's the designer, we're going to give you the world's best conversation design interface. Both of them work together seamlessly, but ultimately you have your own place. Mm. You mentioned, though, that that you have seen the usage double over, or it might have been double or triple since the, since the launch of ChatGPT. So yeah. you've got a lot of customers who are like enterprise conversation design teams, but that I, I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that a lot of the increase in usership over the last kind of eight to eight to 10 months has been from people who are keen to explore large language models, 
they probably have either experimented with Langchain or AutoGPT or these kind of tools, and all of a sudden now there's a, a, a system that does kind of a similar thing but requires a bit less coding. But the the community, I suppose, that's, that's building up around large language models yeah. is more of a technical community, rightly or wrongly. It's the people building the open source tools. They're, they're, they're the ones kind of like building all of this kind of ancillary MLOps, uh, MLOps kind of tooling. Would you say that that's the people who've been joining VoiceFlow recently? Like, not from the enterprise side, but more from like the hobbyists that want to just get in there and test it out as a tool. Like, would you think, would you, because I would assume that you've probably had more development or technical people using the platform over the last, over the last few months. Totally, way more, right? And I, I think, you know, uh, you've guessed correctly that a lot of the growth that we've seen has been that sort of technical audience. And, that's been pushing us further in sort of this direction of, hey, how do we maintain the best conversation design experience, but also service these other folks who want to customize, they want to tweak, they want to use, you know, custom interfaces and things. Um, and you know, we've really been trying to uh, be the bridge between these two communities. And ultimately, we think what's going to be the most powerful thing is how can VoiceFlow um, enable these incredible developers who are building, you know, for, I, I saw we have a big discord community that's blown up over the past like couple of weeks. And I saw this one developer who created um, two things. They created a custom web chat widget where they're like, I want it to like, you know, be waving to the customer in the bottom, right. And I want it to, you know, have all these like cool, you know, like Calendly functionality where like, you know, you basically book, uh, book meetings through the, the widget. And they just built that themselves using our open source and then now they're able to share that with designers. And I thought that was really cool. Like, how do we enable the developers to actually build uh, and, and give value? So, you know, th that's what being a true platform is. And we're trying to sort of push in that direction. How do we allow customers to actually provide value for each other as well? Right. So, you know, we've seen this over the past couple of years. People who know VoiceFlow, you know, it's become a bit of an employable skill. You see it in job descriptions and stuff. That's great. That's, you know, value between the designers. Now, how do we allow the developers to give value to the designers and vice versa, right? How do we allow them to uh, have a single platform where they can work together, create things, and ultimately share? Um, and so I think that's been really exciting. Um, and we're going to see how that continues to uh, sort of emerge. And, you know, we've got some fun features coming up, which we think are going to even supercharge this further for the community. But uh, ultimately, yeah, it's that mixing of design development, which was where we actually think like sort of the sweet spot and like where the magic happens is because um, voice has largely been designed for the past like two and a half years. So to see this influx of developers who are able to um, extend voice flow even further is, is, is awesome. Uh, here's, here's a, by the way, this is my favorite example. We had a developer who they saw our knowledge base and they go, you know, it's actually, um, we, you know, we don't like the interface uh, that VoiceFlow provides. And so they took our API and they built their entirely own custom knowledge base interface on top of VoiceFlow that they've now been giving to their, their clients, um, which we thought was awesome. Right. And, you know, it's funny at first, like I was like, hold up, you know, I'm, I'm offended. You don't like our, our knowledge base <laughs> interface. But then the best part about being a platform is, you know, if you don't like how VoiceFlow presents the information or if you want to tweak it a little bit, you want to add a block that we're missing, you want to. Uh, change the prototyping experience, change how the chat interface looks. Like we should give you the ability to do that because, you know, uh, we will never be perfect for every team. But if you have the ability to develop, we can now be perfect for every team, right? And hopefully, you know, customers start to help work, you know, work with each other and, and you know, fix those gaps and things. And so um, we're super excited to see that sort of like emerging, uh, the emerging platform ecosystem, which is going to be really cool. 
Mm, definitely. I remember I remember listening to a podcast a long time ago with uh, Ben Thompson from Stratechery, and he defined platform as a suite of capabilities upon which further value can be added. So like yeah. Windows as an operating system is a platform because on top of that, you can build an application yourself that then adds further value to the whole platform. Now we've got Word. So now everyone can use Word as further value to the whole, the whole thing. So it's that, that's kind of, <clears throat> and when a lot of the time when, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the time when people say that they have a platform, most of the time it is kind of an out of the box suite of tools. And yes, you can assemble them to add value, but when it comes to extending it, for a very particular case that you need to extend it for, like that knowledge base example that you give, yeah. that's when you find actually a lot of the platforms are clo- are closed, and you can only do w- w- what you can do within the confines of the environment you're given. Um, oh. So I definitely, I definitely like that approach. I'm curious about. We've got a question here from Olya, which I'll come to in a minute because uh, yeah. we kind of touched on sort of like multimodal that widget you mentioned, the Calendly widget and stuff like that. But I'm curious about sort of like thinking about the future. There's two, maybe maybe you, there's two paths I can see, but maybe you can you can go down both paths one is continuation of providing tooling for the enterprise which is for conversation design teams and development teams trying to bridge that gap trying to kind of like uh you know have them enhance uh, use large language models responsibly and stuff like that but then at the same time you've got a lot of hobbyists and these are the people who are building the likes of the lang chains and they're building applications with that and so potentially the other side of this which whether it's more scalable or not you tell me is that voice flow being used potentially as the underlying platform <clears throat> that sits underneath future businesses that are kind of like AI first businesses. And so I don't know if you've given any consideration to, because it seems as though the, those influx of new users who are the developers, they're not necessarily working at an enterprise trying to build applications for those. They're probably trying to figure out, okay, how do I build something that's going to let me build a business around or something like that? Would you say that's kind of, am I on the right lines? No, I totally. And like, so um, I'll touch on like the general sort of framework we're thinking about this, and then I'll, I'll go specifically into multimodal. Um, on the general framework, I think there's sort of three types of like software companies, essentially. There's tools, and this is like sort of in the B2B space. There's tools, which is there's VoiceFlow, and you know, we build a tool which provides value to solve a particular business problem, you know, and we give you value and we hope that you pay us money, and you know, that's sort of the, that's the business. And then there's a platform and a platform is which we give you, as you mentioned, a a set of capabilities of which you can extend further. So a tool is going to be just sort of, you know, you have an accounting problem or accounting software. Now we're saying, Hey, here's a bunch of building blocks of which to build, um, uh, to build even further value upon. Right. Uh, So that's like sort of what a platform is. I think the final step is when there's an ecosystem and that's when it is, you know, the platform, and then you have users who are able to, without knowledge of the platform or without even needing the platform, they're providing value to each other. And so a good example of that is going to be like, let's say Shopify consultants for building out, um, you know, different Shopify sites, different Shopify templates. Uh, you know, you can see uh, Salesforce, there's a whole ecosystem built around, um, you know, the implementation the consulting for, for Salesforce. And I think, you know, as we think about AI agents, the reason that we haven't closed VoiceFlow down, like, you know, uh, we have a ton of users who are just on the free plan is because we really want to build that ecosystem. How do we allow for users to build on top of VoiceFlow, build businesses on top of VoiceFlow, where um, folks are building uh, consultancies, they're able to uh, build implementation services, training services, 
Um, I've told folks before, like, you know, the folks at CDI who are awesome, you know, we don't want to be the company that's, you know, doing everything for every customer. We'd much rather have value circulating around, right? We just want to focus on how do we build the best possible platform? And then how do we enable the community to uh, provide value to each other and, you know, sort of build on top? So um, that's where we're going to just continue to extend or open more and more APIs so that VoiceFlow, you know, let's say there's a, VoiceFlow has a conversation design platform, a knowledge base, uh, an NLU, and it has like a dialogue manager, right? Let's, we have more than that, but there's just four, you know, platform components. Let's say customer likes A, B, uh, and D, but they don't like C, right? Let's say they really prefer dialogue flows NLU. We want that customer to be able to say, okay, you know, I can still use VoiceFlow. I'm going to build with A, B, C, and D, but C is going to be a different vendor. Like, how do we allow people to uh, um, swap to build out their ideal workflow and technology stack? We think that's what's, like, sort of the most exciting opportunity is to, to be able to sort of build that, like, ecosystem where people are helping each other do that and a platform that allows for that to be possible. Uh, and then last on, on multimodal. Um, so what you're going to see is uh, we're trying to lead with, how do, we innate, how do we allow everything to be possible in VoiceFlow first? And so this has been our approach for years now. How do we allow for almost like a hacky solution to get done? So when you see like me posting LinkedIn videos and things, it's often what is like the MVP approach where it's possible now. You can do it. It might not be well productized, though. It might not have a great GUI experience. It might not have a good UX and like over time, as things become more and more core to VoiceFlow and like to all users, we'll make that increasingly core. So a good example of multimodal is we actually have uh, we have a couple of customers who are using a POC that we built, which was uh, touch hotspots. So the ability to have like a phone with a, a prototype that's actually going to go ahead and like you can use touch, you can use voice. It's like this fully sort of multimodal touch prototype. And if enough customers um, get value from that, then we start to think about, well, how do we really productize this? How do we make it a really seamless UX inside VoiceFlow instead of something that you're just building on top of the platform? And so I think, um, to, uh, mm. uh, Olya, to your uh, question on multimodal, um, a lot of the stuff is possible in VoiceFlow today, but it requires some of the developer uh, uh, sides of the platform. And over time, as we see more demand and people are starting to re- like use some of these platform features, we'll look to actually sort of verticalize it inside of VoiceFlow and make it a core part of the experience. But um, today, we're actually just laser focused specifically on web chat, the dialogue API, um, and the actual just platform itself. Those are the those are the areas we're really really focused on. Um, because if we try to do everything all at once, we're going to kind of give you guys like the Luke Water, you know, like lukewarm, you know, platform experience where it kind of you know uh, it's a jack of all trades, master of not master of none. We want to give you guys like the best collaborative conversational AI platform. It's by far the best. And then over time, expose more and more APIs so that you guys can build what you need first. And then over time, you know, hopefully VoiceFlow becomes a bigger company. We're going to be able to uh, go ahead and, and extend. So, yeah, hopefully that was a, a helpful nice. framework to think about how we make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Um, we've got a question here. And I, I, apologies because I can't see. It just comes through as LinkedIn user for some reason. Maybe it's because we're not connected or whatever. But it's uh, it's someone who's saying... Uh, are we interested in platforms or frameworks? I think we get power from frameworks. So what in your kind of opinion is the difference between a platform and a framework? Yeah, great. Uh, this is great. So in my opinion, the platform is the ability to do something and the framework is the, the best way to do it that's layered on top. And so 
um, what we're trying to do is build a, a technology platform that makes kind of anything possible. And then we're layering on our opinions. So um, what's a good example of that? In VoiceFlow, you have domains, topics. So essentially, like, what's the information architecture of, of the agent itself, right? How is it structured? Um, the platform doesn't really care, per se. Like, it's all, it, you know, um, it's, you can build, uh, you know, transformers to turn VoiceFlow's JSON into another uh, into another structure, you can turn VoiceFlow's uh, JSON structure into a dialogue flow structure. Like you can sort of convert it all over the place. But we started with an opinion. And that opinion is sort of the VoiceFlow framework of which like all of our uh, standards are built on top of it. So for us, it's called the .vf file, which is the .voiceflow. That then leads into the GUI itself is all structured in that, that same sort of thinking, which is domains are like the collection of, so it's the, the broadest possible grouping of functionality. It's like... Um, you know, everything to do with refunds. And then you go into topics where it's like, what are the specific types of uh, things that we're doing within refunds? And then you go into flows, which are like the very specific, like multi-step interactions in order to complete that. That's our general voice flow framework, but it all sits on top of a technology platform that is much less opinionated and more malleable. So if you want to change that, um, at least you know what our opinion is first. And that's what allows you to convert our opinion into another opinion. Because you need to know how voice flow thinks about data. It can't just be this, like this, you know, uh, amorphous blob. Uh, we So, yeah, hopefully that's helpful. We have a technology platform mm-hmm. and our framework of how we think about the world is layered on top. But because it's a platform, it's flexible for you to ultimately work with it. Um, and, we, you know, we document our opinion. Nice. Nice. Perfect. Um, so at Unpars, what was really interesting is that we had a lot of great content from a lot of seasoned conversation designers who are were all presenting every second talk i would say had some feature of large language model or generative ai in there something like that which is really great to see so you've got you've got the conversation design community seemingly if you were to go on the face of of the content out on past really embracing large language models at the same time, though, there seems to be, and I don't know whether this died down now or not, but there is definitely this kind of, I suppose, period of uncertainty where some conversation designers are thinking like, well, what's my job going to be now, you know? And then you have kind of like, and, and I've always actually, I've always believed that language understanding is first and foremost a technical problem, but creating experiences is first and foremost a design problem so you kind of got you have to have both of them working together and when if, it, if everything's very much heavily design focused and there's no technical ability you're going to end up with something with no substance that can't deliver on what it promises if right. something's really technical first with no design thinking it ends up being really clunky and, and the experience is terrible a really good example of that is um i won't call out the specific train line but there was alexa skill and it was a train booking skill. And as we as we were starting to learn conversation design during the course of building Alexa skills, you, you mentioned earlier on situational design. Situational design being the ability to design for a given state of a conversation and having the flexibility to, when someone wants, wants to change the state of that conversation, being able to go with the flow and do that. So if you're yeah. in the middle of booking and checking train times for a, for, a, for a train, and all of a sudden you want to do something else, like ask a question about whether you've got disabled facilities or whatever, then you can do that without affecting the state of the floor that you're in. Yeah. Whereas, and but, but, but those experiences that were done, which was more of a technically led experience in this train booking example, you get you chose at the beginning. You can either ch- check train times or you can book a train. 
if you go down checking train times, you, now all of a sudden you're in this path, you're, now you're down this kind of like tree for whatever the better phrase, and you get to the point where you found out your train time. If yeah. you said, okay, I want to book that, it would never let you do it because you weren't in the right tree. You weren't in the right branch for that. You had yeah. to go back to the beginning, go on book, and then go through select your times again, and then you get to you. So that was for me, that was an example of, of, a, of a solution that was built, which was technical first. How yeah. can we do this? Well, we need, we need train times, we need bookings. But the experience was terrible. And so it feels to me as though we're going through this period with generative AI where really to use generative AI, aside from what VoiceFlow have built which, and, and some other tools which have started to democratize access to that, predominantly these are just APIs. So you need to have technical prowess to be able to use them in the first place. And so yeah. people are building tools like Langchain and AutoGPT, all this kind of stuff, and they're all very technically minded folks. And yeah. so I think what some designers have felt like is that, well, large language models have got tremendous power because they can produce dialogue, which is part of my job. They yeah. can understand dialogue, which is another part of my job. And it seems as though the only people who are building this stuff is all technical people. So is this now becoming more of a technical job rather than a design job? And so I wanted to ask this on behalf of those conversation designers that might be feeling this. My opinions, this, these are not my opinions, but this is just, I think it's good to get the question out there, which is, for the conversation designers, thinking that actually large language models are a very technical thing, it doesn't really concern me too much. What am I going to be doing? And that is my kind of role in jeopardy, so to speak. I wonder what your thoughts are on on that and how large language models are affecting or impacting the role of a conversation designer or conversation developer. Yeah. So my, my opinion on this is um, jobs need to be focused on outputs, not, in, not inputs. And um, conversation design, if we think about the, uh, the actual uh, tools and the responsibilities today, and if we, if we define the job as that, then yeah, the job's going to you know, you know, go away per se, right? Um, but if we think about the job of the conversation designer as to create great user experiences for uh, automated agents you know, that are sort of working through a conversational interface, then like, that job's only going to get bigger. Because like the amount of agents out there is just going to get uh, you know dramatically larger, and so I think about like let's look at visual design as a parallel. Um, the job of the visual designer, actually, you know, a programmer is even better. Let's actually look at a programmer. Um, a programmer twenty years ago, being a developer per se, would have been a, a bit of a different experience, completely different frameworks. Right? You have to think a lot more about uh, the actual like. Um, how you're working with hardware, like, you know, server setups, all this kind of stuff, like this before AWS, like development looked very different. But now as the tools have changed, right? Now you have, um, you know, serverless compute, you've got AWS, like you've got like, you know, uh, languages which are um, much less brittle because, you know, memories become less of a thing that, you know, you need to worry as much about. Um, being a developer has changed a lot, right? And so when I think about conversation design, if we think about the tools and the te like the skills that we use every single day, it's it's for sure it's going to feel like a scary time. It's going to feel like the, the job is changing. But again, if we zoom out, we think about the output. If you're a developer, your job is to create um, great uh, uh, you know great programs that ultimately achieve a you know a business outcome. And if you're a designer, your job is to create great user experiences that ultimately achieve a business outcome. Um, then it's a really exciting time. And it's sort of the last anecdotal change is when, you know, what large language models do is they decouple um, the interface from the business logic. 
Um, and so I think in the past, when we thought about conversational AI, the actual like ability to speak was so tightly coupled with the business logic. And so like, you know, what this would be akin to is imagine you're Starbucks and you're hiring a barista and you, you know, go up to that person and say, hey, you know, like you've got to teach them how to speak English and you have to teach them how to be a barista. That was essentially the what we were doing the past five years. The great thing is now with large language models, it's like hiring someone off the street. You only have to teach them how to work at Starbucks. What are the procedures? Like, how do you talk with customers? What tone do you use? You know, someone asked for a refund. How do you do that? Right. You don't have to worry about them knowing how to speak, speak the, you know, a language and be able to like actually chat with folks. And so that's what large language models have effectively done is a, my series going off. That will never not be funny in our industry is when like your, <laughs> your voice assistant starts going off. But, um, you know, it's decoupled the interface from, from the business logic. And so I think um, conversation design is going to move essentially up a level, right? In the same way that when developers, you know, didn't have to worry about setting up like, you know, servers in their basement anymore. Um, and they were able to essentially move, you know, move up a level, you know, when uh, JavaScript and, you know, languages that have uh, better memory management came out, you're able to sort of move up a level. Now conversation design is going to be able to move up a level in the stack. You're not just worrying about like the specific copy. You're thinking a lot more about the experience holistically, the persona. And, uh, you know, when the cost of, uh, uh, I forget the exact stats, but it was like when the cost of airfare went down dramatically, you know, it's not like airlines would at a business, they just flew to more places. And so I think, you know, as the cost of agent creation comes down, it's not that there's going to be less jobs for people building agents. There's just going to be way more jobs because there's way more agents, right? There's way more UX, you know, sort of holistic experiences to think about. So um, I think for the conversation designers out there, it's ultimately up to you in how you approach sort of the changing landscape. And I think the best way to approach it is to think about the end experience. And if the tools that are required to build that end experience are changing, UI design's gone from like, you know, Photoshop to, you know, I mean, even I'm sure there was software even before that it's, you know, gone from like, you know, Photoshop to, uh, you know, to sketch to Figma, you should be thinking about the the tools that you're using as well, because ultimately it's about achieving that great, uh, that great outcome. Mm, nice. And so you, you alluded to something there, which, which is interesting in, in terms of one of, one of, the, one of the concerns that businesses have around large language models is the whole hallucination problem. I don't know a lot of big enterprises who are experimenting with this kind of stuff internally for internal, uh, you know, knowledge search and stuff like that. And I've seen a couple of examples like loop insurance and stuff like that, where they're using it on the front end and, and all that lot. And, it, and in that instance, actually, it worked pretty well. But there's yeah. definitely kind of for certain types of companies, a bit of apprehension. And I suppose... Some of that is because for me, there's different levels of use cases. We've got this like data framework, which is like that goes from deflecting use cases, which I view as the FAQ stuff, which is a, a nice playground right now for large language models answering questions. It then goes to interpreting use cases where you need to be basically it's like a one way data retrieval from a line of business system. And then it starts to become a little bit more deterministic because you need to get information from someone to validate it to, to then retrieve the right kind of data. Then it moves to transacting, which is two-way integration. So then it becomes even more deterministic because you you need to get the right data in and to get the right data out. So then you now you you need to start following a, a defined business process. Cool. Then it moves on to uh, assisting and transforming, and the assisting and transform is about being more proactive, using data in a more sensible way, better natural language understanding, which I think LLMs can definitely help with. And then transforming is use cases that you couldn't have imagined or delivered previously with humans alone. And yeah. so. In the transacting bit, the T, 
this is where businesses are beginning to get to. They've they've always focused on the the content, the the search, you know, and large language models are uh, proving that you know minus minus the odd hallucination that they can do something in that space. Yeah. When it comes to the 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 next stage of maturity, you start to then you you'd need to get a bit more deterministic because business processes and policies at different companies are, are different. So I'm curious yeah. about your thoughts on because you mentioned there around you know the conversation design being less about being deterministic, less about what do I say here and do this for that floor, uh, and more about abstracting that, yet a large language model isn't necessarily familiar with XYZ Bank's specific policy. So I'm just curious about how you're thinking about moving from the the sort of like the, uh, the, the deflecting-based use cases, the FAQs and the question-answer and the knowledge-based stuff, more towards more kind of like utility-based, mission-critical transactional kind of use cases and, and the role large language models can play there or the challenges of, of doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, generally there's sort of two levels of assistant complexity. Um, I, I would actually, okay, I'd, I'd argue there's three. So one is like, it's just FAQ automation, right? It's essentially knowledge automation, single turns, like single turn conversations, right? Um, then you move into like, uh, what I almost describe as like routing, uh, routing conversations where the goal is not to do end-to-end automation. It's to get the person to the right queue for the live handoff with all the right information, right? So you've, you know, yeah. and, and these sort of build up. And then the last is that end-to-end automation, right? And so there's sort of these three different levels of, of agent. Um, I think, you know, touching on sort of the LLMs and, and, and this stuff, business logic in my opinion, should still be fairly deterministic um, because like logic is like, like what the, the, the reason LLMs hallucinate is ultimately what mo- these models are doing is predicting what to say next based off what was said previously. And um, it doesn't necessarily have an innate understanding of your, of your business per se. You kind of have to code that in. It's the same thing with Starbucks. Like, you know, if I was to hire a barista and say, Hey, um, you know, take this order there needs to be an innate understanding that in order to take the order, I need their name, what they want, uh, and how they're going to pay. These are like the non-negotiables of my business, right? Like I just, you sort like, you know, you can, um, I almost think about it like there's this like rigid core of business logic. And instead of the, the logic being rigid and the conversation used to be rigid, you now have this incredibly fluid interface on top, which is awesome but it's sort of gliding over top of a rigid interface of logic. And I, I think for most businesses that like, that's not going to change. Right. I don't think Starbucks is going to say, Hey, just because we have a large language model now, it means, you know, they don't have to tell us how they're going to pay. That still has to be there. And ultimately too, there's a level, um, uh, there's, there's uh, human accountability at what point who's accountable for the bot. And that's where I think that, that, that rigid uh, communication comes in. So um I think what you'll probably see is something like this, sort of using these two different these two different ideas. You'll see a lot of FAQ um, FAQs using generative AI. You'll see like large language models paired with knowledge bases. I think like that level one of agent, it's such a good use case because you know it handles the long tail really well. It's able to synthesize information from you know different data sources. That's great. I think when you then go up to the agent assist. I think you'll then have like exit criteria essentially of like, you'll try to have end-to-end automation, of course, but you know, you're not always going to have a hundred percent containment. Um, how do you use the LLM to essentially 
do information retrieval, but you're using rigid checks on what do I need to actually progress to the next stage of the conversation? What do I need in order to progress and hand this off to an agent? And then the same thing for that sort of like fully automated conversation. What do I need in order to complete this conversation? What's the good exit criteria? What's the LLM working towards? Um, And then you're doing essentially like the rigid business logic checks to ensure that like the LLM is not like going all over the place and and things like that. Um, So that's kind of, that's kind of how I think about it. And it doesn't touch on like, you know, there's hallucinations for sure in that like level one. I think what you'd probably want to do is, you know, A, I think things will get better over time. Um, I think you could start to see some interesting paradigms like an NLU that determines uh, the intent paired with the LLM that generates the response paired with an NLU that checks the response. Like you could start to see some interesting frameworks like that to try to get rid of hallucination. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I don't, yeah, I, it, it'll be impossible to get rid of the hallucinations 100% of the time. And just anytime you're using statistics, which is basically what these LLMs are like there's, it, you can never have 100% certainty, but it will get very, 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 very good. And you might be able to get rid of certainty for like anything that's too high risk, right? Like if, you know, if it's like, um, I don't know, like a medical bot or something like that, anytime you determine it's a topic that's high risk, you might actually just choose to use purely deterministic flows if you cannot afford a 0.0001 chance. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a case of how, how kind of critical the use case is, isn't it? You know, like the risks of the business of getting it wrong and stuff like that, if it's involving finances or health or something like that. And yeah, that, that, that kind of rooting use case, we definitely put that under the, the interpreting, you're interpreting what someone's wanting and you put them to the right place, um, which is great. That that makes perfect sense. What are your thoughts on the, the tooling around large language models? So you're building tooling that, that obviously incorporates large language models. There's a lot of kind of things around there that harness them. One of the areas that is a bit of a gap, at least from where I'm sort of sitting, is let's take let's take the example there of someone's using a large language model, either in that root in case, maybe it's not the root one, but maybe it's more sort of like more transactional fulfillment based journeys. Yeah. And but it's a company like we did a webinar, for example, with Cigna. Signer Express Scripts, they handle four and a half thousand concurrent conversations. So that's like right at this moment in time, right now, as we're speaking, they might be managing four and a half thousand conversations. And so you mentioned there the statistical kind of spread, I suppose, of potential for hallucinations. Yeah. If I was a company like that and I want to deploy these models, even if it's an FAQ use case, if I'm, if it's an FAQ that's related to someone's prescription and what can I use this drug for versus that drug or whatever. You don't really want to get that that sort of stuff wrong, but there isn't necessarily unless you're kind of either aware or building otherwise, kind of like quality assurance tools that can sort of like sit before something goes out to do that kind of monitoring. Because all I can see is I'm hearing people talk about things like, um, you know, what is it? The um, it's chain of thought prompting with what is it called? I forget that I forget what it's called, but it's basically using large language models to vet the response of of various large language models to see where the consistency is, taking the most consistent answer and then using that basically. Yeah. Um, and so, it's, but 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 that seems to me as though you're using you're marking your own you're grading your own homework. You know, you're using large language models to vet the response of the large language model, so the the limitations of the one technology are inherent in the in the other. So I don't know what your thoughts are in terms of that sort of like quality assurance at scale question for for this kind of technology? Yeah, I think sometimes as an industry, we, again, it kind of goes back to like focusing too much on the tooling and the, and um, 
not thinking about like what's the right tool for the job. And just because, you know, large language models are kind of the thing right now, you know, like I had a chat with a bank exec and it was, it was, a, it was a pretty funny conversation because it was like, we want to use chat GBT and I'm like, got it. And, then, and it was like, but I don't want it to hallucinate because it's like this sensitive stuff. And I go, got it. And so it's like, you almost want to like handwrite the messages for chat GBT. And it's like, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you sit there and you, you know, you, you kind of laugh a little bit because, you know, are we using large language models in places where maybe that's actually not the right place? Like maybe for sensitive answers, you're just going to use an NLU with a deterministic response. Um, and that is the correct, you know, approach to achieve that user experience um, that you're looking for where, you know, if the correctness of the answer is the most important thing, then maybe that is that is the right approach. Like, I think what's dangerous about, you know, you know, we, we've, we've all had friends in the past where, you know, maybe uh, they say something and they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's far more danger, dangerous if that friend sounds really confident and sounds really right. Like, at least with the bots before, they would break and say, I sorry, I don't know that. Now they just, they kind of, you know, give you an answer that sounds pretty good. I would almost argue that that's more dangerous in, in a lot of scenarios. And so, mm. um, yeah, I, I think it totally depends on, on the use case. Like, we haven't seen this as much. Like, you know, it's tough to do a lot of this stuff in the enterprise. Uh, you know, we've, you know, I think as an industry, we've sort of been pontificating on it for like six months. But I think what you probably end up seeing is something like an NLU to do the inference, just given that LLMs are really expensive, with an LLM to generate the response. And if it's a net new response, you use the LLM to generate it. And over time, you, I think you actually start to cache answers. Uh, you start to say, hey, this was an answer that's 100% correct. It was generated by an LLM. And so over time, like you start to see more and more um of the actual responses given being sort of if it's in that short head, if it's in the normal distribution where it's like the 80% of the most, you know, the majority of the volume is like 20% of the questions. Those 20% of the questions are like totally hard coded. Like you have like variants and stuff, but like, you know, it's, it's a pre-written response. And then it's only for the things where you've never seen it before. You know, it's a sort of a net new response. You let the LLM take a crack at it. And I think you then try to apply QA. Um, yeah, these, these things are expensive right now. LMs are not cheap to run in production at like crazy scale. Um, so I think you probably only want to use it as like a last, you know, last resort, but otherwise you're going to use like an NLU paired with a deterministic response. Um, so a lot of this is under customer support. There are use cases for agents where like, you know, you, you've, you, you can't do it. Like, I don't know. It's a good example. Maybe like, um, if you have like tons and tons and tons, like uh, actually drive-throughs are a great example of this. Drive-throughs require so much variation in your um, uh, ability to handle conversation that LLMs kind of enable the whole thing to actually be possible. Like I tried to build an, uh, a drive-through assistant with NLU and deterministic answers two years ago, and it was like it was crazy difficult because they're like you know there's a whole myriad of reasons. That's something that's now totally unlocked with LLMs. But maybe like traditional customer support with just like FAQs, refunds, like you know contact, you know contacts, all that kind of stuff. That might actually still be better with traditional NLU and, and uh, deterministic responses. So mm-hmm. choose the right tool for the task is is my my TLDR. Yeah, I think that's the, that seems fair as well because like the it seems to me at least as though the hype and the moment has kind of got everybody sort of swept up a little bit. Maybe it's just dying down a little bit now, but it was kind of like LLMs are the answers to everyone's prayers. Whereas really, and pragmatically, 
you have to find out where LLMs are actually going to add value rather than create more work and or create more risk, you know. And so that I think that that's where we'll see them used, I think, more broadly in enterprises is in places that enhances an NLU for certain yeah. processes that require deterministic kind of uh, models. Um, yeah. And, and it does, they don't necessarily have to be driving the conversation in order for them to be really useful and effective, you know. Yeah, I, I feel greatly we're on sort of the come down of the hype the hype cycle. Like, you know, we, mm-hmm. we at Voicelow, we were certainly caught right up in it. Um, I remember saying to one of our board members, you know, I believe the AGI was right around the corner. Um, and then you know, look at, looking back at it now, it's like, well, how I defined AGI, you know, was, was fairly vague. But um, we were like, there was a, a couple of months uh, in, I don't know, call this like, Q, like late Q1, where it was like every week, it was like GPT-4 came out. It can now do images, baby GPT, auto GPT. Age. It was like, it was like if yeah. we just, you know, I was just like extrapolating the curve out a couple more months, and I was like, holy, you know, <laughs> this is, this is going to change change quite a bit. And I think now, you know, the way I I view LLMs is as a much more tame approach, which is these are, you know, conversational AI has always been the intermingling of the interface. And um, the uh, the end user interface, which is like you know conversation, all that kind of stuff, with the channel, and then business logic. And now I think the the ch- uh, the channel for the most part has stayed the same. People are still using like web chat interfaces, IVRs, like that. That hasn't been revolutionized, like the actual end channel. The interface that's used in that channel has become extremely fluid, and it can glide really easily, and it can like handle conversations, and that's awesome. And then the business logic, for the most part, has not changed. And you know, the system integrations, like integrating with your CRM, and you know, integrating with your you know agent light, you know, handoff platform, all that kind of stuff, that hasn't changed. And so, when I think about like the three sort of core things that could have dramatically changed, it's really right now just that sort of interface in the middle where you can have really fluid conversations. That's amazing, but ultimately, you still have to design out business logic, and you still have to have it deployed to a web chat or an IVR or an SMS or something like that. Mm, definitely, definitely. Uh, Chain of thought prompting with self-consistency was what I was looking for earlier on when I was talking about monitoring multiple models, seeing what's consistent and then using that to be the answer. But then what you need to do there is you need to have like multiple models. And so doing that at scale, it's expensive enough to use one model, but you're using four models and then you're going to grade the responses. It's going to get very expensive. But uh, Quick, funny story here. We, um, I like to build like voiceful agents on the weekends and stuff like it's, it's, it's one of my hobbies. And uh, I was building this agent where I essentially wanted to like have like a um, every single time it would, you would give it a new piece of information. It would like check in its transcript and it would update the previous histories and like sort of have this like constant recurring memory. And then as you came up against the context and token limit, it would then actually look at its memory and see where it could condense, like sort of remove some fidelity. And over time you'd sort of have this like, you know, massive long-term memory. Um, and I built this, you know, and I, I have the Voiceflow credit card. So it had, uh, you know, an unlimited number of tokens to play with. And then I shared the template with the community. And uh, I, I forgot to disclaim that, hey, like this might burn a million tokens a call. Um, <laughs> and I had a whole bunch of Voiceflow users like complaining to me. They're like, what the heck? Like you like burned up all of our tokens. I'm like, oh, God. So that's um, all these like really intensive, cool stuff that you can do with LLMs it's very token intensive. Like it's, it's like, you know, it might end up being like a dollar a call to do like, you know, Mm. some of this like chain of, you know, chain of thought and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, the uh, I did read about Microsoft potentially working on a chip which is intended to try and bring the cost of this kind of stuff down. How far away or close that is, who knows? But um, yeah, yeah think, it's interesting. I think the only like you, one technology thing. I think right now they're too expensive, but I think as technologists, we should always assume that things will get exponentially cheaper over time. Like that's yeah. one assumption we're making at VoiceFlow is like we, we used to be worried about the latency when we were building our initial LLM features. We thought that was going to come down. It has. And then we're also we were worried about cost and that came down by one order of magnitude. And we think it's going to come down for more. And so I think most people should be under that assumption, too, that like, yeah. At some point, LLMs will become as, uh, maybe not, but like they'll be com- comparable to like an NLU. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's the chips cost at the minute. I think that's that's half the battle is that, you know, they require big computing power to, to run the inference and stuff like that. And as long as it costs a lot of money to do that, then that's kind of where it's going to come from. But I think the scale, the economies of scale, obviously, that will come with that. And if there is new chips coming down the pipeline from Microsoft or whatever, then inevitably it's going to get a lot a lot cheaper, a lot quicker. Um, there was one final question I had. I know we're a little bit over, so apologies for, for running about. I had a one, one last question because I spoke to uh, Mikhail Burstev last week, who is the um, founder of Deep Pavlov. And one of the things he mentioned is that they've been doing a lot of experimentation with large language models. And when they've benchmarked uh, large language models to other NLP models, mm-hmm. the classification wasn't as effective and entity extraction wasn't as effective. But I know of quite a number of vendors who've told me personally that classification is a absolute kind of like, you know, dream use case for large language models. And mm-hmm. so is entity extraction. So I'm kind of hearing two things from, from, I mean, I don't doubt Mikhail. He's a very experienced, very sort of like, you know, shrewd sort of researcher who's got very ex- lot of experience in, in, in the, uh, in this kind of field. Um, but at the same time, people that I trust tell me otherwise. So I'm curious about what your kind of opinions are specifically, not the generation. We've discussed generation. We've discussed potential hallucinations, but specifically on the classification and entity extraction side of things. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not as deep on the technical side, so I'll just give what I see. Um, the voice NLU performs uh, 1% better in classification tasks against standard benchmarks than GBT4. GBT4 was three orders of magnitude more expensive to run. Again, costs will come down over time. Um, I think NLUs for... Ge- like, I mean... I think over time LLMs will become better for classification than NLUs, but at the present moment, I think NLUs are typically faster and cheaper by such a large degree that um, it makes more sense to use them. However, I think um, as you know, assuming sort of like NLUs reaching the you know the the top of its maturity curve, and I don't think it is because I think LLMs are actually going to help NLUs a lot, but. Um, then I, I do think sort of the, the the progress for LLMs is, you know, we're just at the beginning of, of, of it for the most part. Um, it will become better at classification over time. And I think what you might then see is using an LLM for classification and LLM for uh, generation. Uh, and then you, you might use, who maybe use a, uh, once again, a chain of thought to actually, you know, check on the actual response itself. Like, you know, you might use an LLM end to end with multiple different calls. Um, I don't think I'm in a strong enough position to say it, but I know that right now, if you're going to go deploy a bot at scale, NLUs are far cheaper and generally is good at, at classification. Um, and so it really comes down to to cost and, and things like that. Mm, nice. But that will, nice. that will change. That will change. 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. I, th- I think it'll all change. I think what's what's really interesting is how you know we're not necessarily right at the very beginning of this, but we're certainly at the beginning of the technology being utilized properly within tooling platforms like VoiceFlow, and also definitely at the beginning of the kind of population's general awareness of this stuff. <clears throat> I told the anecdote before about my mum. My mum texts me. Get a text. Are you watching? Are you watching uh, Question Time? I said, no, I'm not watching Question Time. Why? They're talking about this uh, computer that's going to kill us all. I'm like, are you talking about ChatGPT? She said, well, you, you, you've heard of it. I was like, I've fucking heard of it. Mum, this is all I do every day. So it's yeah. like, if, I know I know when something has reached maximum exposure, and that's when I get a text from my mum saying that this stuff's happening. So it's definitely we're early days as far as, I think, seeing how we can apply this. Uh, because now that people who weren't part of the Alexa movement, weren't part of the Facebook Messenger movement, weren't part of the initial kind of IVR automation sort of space. Like now there's a brand new breed of people who are now finally waking up to conversational AI. They don't think of it as conversation design. They think of it as prompt engineering. They don't think of them building AI assistants. They think of building agents. But we're Mm -hmm. all talking about the exact same stuff. And so what's interesting is where it's going to head over the next kind of five years now that we've seemed to have kind of, you know, the community and the technology has finally reached itself out of the parrot pit and it's, it's out there in the world now, you know? Totally. I, I thought it's, it's been a marketer's nightmare. The amount of different terms that voiceful has to use. Like we're now we're, we're going in on the agents thing. Um, but like assistance, sort of the past two years before that was skills. It's, you know, it, you know, bots was before that it's been um, as an industry, let's all vow to choose one and stick with it. Uh, because oh, no. it, it makes it difficult to like, you know, build up SEO and, and know what they even call ourselves too. So, um, yeah, it's been exciting. I mean, I, I think the next five years, um, I'm, I'm just, I feel super fortunate that we're in an industry that I feel super excited to work, work on every day. Like, uh, it's been so cool seeing what the community is building and seeing everyone super jacked up. And also, you know, we have like, the folks who've been in the community for a while now for four or five years, you know, you, you and I have, you know, it's my third time on the podcast. It's cool to see like this fresh injection of, of excitement where it's the biggest wave that any of us have been a part of. And I think more than anything else, the wave has a lot of, um, uh, a lot of ground to stand on. It's, you know, there's, there's real um, business objectives, like business progress is being met by using these technologies. Uh, and I think that's the most exciting thing since, you know, I think in the past we've had, you know, I think it's sort of about Alexa in particular. Um, Alexa had a lot of momentum. I still think there's a really bright future for Alexa. And, you know, uh, I, I, I would be surprised if Amazon doesn't make big moves in the coming years, um, uh, given all the LLM stuff, but um, the initial version of the developer ecosystem had a lot of excitement and then, you know, didn't hit the business value, uh, and it, it feels like large language models are now starting to hit that hit that point where um, people are going to be able to build their careers off of it. And that's going to make the industry, you know, a lot bigger. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting times. And, you know, we're happy to uh, to be a part of the community. Nice one. And a very, very valued member of the community. Definitely. I mean, VoiceFlow has always been um, at the heart of the community, you know, real dedication to not just not just trying to sell and that's the thing that i think is is missing with a lot of technology companies today is that they they're far too focused on selling and not enough focused on education not enough yep. focused on creating content that's teaching people the principles the practices the the frameworks the the methodologies and i think that's it's commendable that that you and the team are so focused on that because 
you know, we know how hard it is to to create consistent content over time that's a sufficient quality and stuff like that. It's a labor of love sometimes. And so uh, I definitely like the style. And I think that the pivot into adopting large language models is is 100% sensible. I think the, the, the proclamation, I suppose, for want of a better phrase, of, of coming out there and saying, okay, now we're, we're going to be a platform. Yeah. I think ultimately in long term, that is a, a very smart move because you do have a real good community of designers. You've got a real solid pedigree in design. And at the moment, there isn't really a tool that can unify the design and development sort of worlds. And so I'm definitely excited to see to see where you take it. And uh, good luck. We'll come on next year and do a fourth one. Appreciate it. No, I was going to say we're... Um... We are uh, a bunch of product people who love building communities, and we realized we had to build a business to support that. Versus, I think uh, some folks might, you know, they they build a business and that you know they realize that they have to do a community and and, and you know good product to make it work. And so, um, you know, our uh, at the end of the day, like one of our values as a company is put customers first. Uh, try to do everything that in service of the customer and make sure that you know um, at the end of the day, you know, we hope that if we build enough goodwill um, in in the industry. Uh, that, you know, things sort of work out in the long run. And, and that's continued to be true for the past couple of years. So, um, yeah, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. It's been I, I didn't even realize this was going to be live. So it's been awesome to see folks' <laughs> comments and and uh, and things. Well, exactly. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, yeah, it's always nice to do a surprise, surprise live. It's been very active on the comments there. Lots of people commenting, lots of good questions. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Adrian Thompson, shout out to Adrian. He said, I thought it was going to be another boring Monday. Then I came across you, you guys. Brilliant insight as per usual. Love voice flow. Definitely. Nice one. Thank you, Braden, so much. Thank you all for tuning in. And you can join me again if you want to uh, this week. I'm also chatting this week with, uh, who am I chatting with? Uh, we've got Matt Taylor from Noble. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, large language models again. And we've got Tim Freeble from Genesis. We're going to be talking about customer journey analytics. So we've got three podcasts this week, believe it or not, to talk about dedication. Uh, and me and Braden will see you all at the Voice and AI Summit if you are going to be there in Washington. And if you're not going to be there in Washington and you want to learn a little bit more about what we've been talking about, you can go to voiceflow.com. V-O-I-C-E-F-L-O-W dot com. Until next time. See you later.